Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Tia and Martino Gideas sharing their journey of navigating Tia's cancer diagnosis at 14 weeks pregnant, her CVS syndrome, and many of the complications that came from those diagnoses. They are hoping by sharing their story, it will bring awareness and hope. Hello, Tia and Martino. Welcome to the hey. show. Hi. Thanks doing? for having us. Yes. Welcome, welcome. And can you guys start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. So um, Martino and I have been together for 13 years. Um, we've only been married for three we have a nine-year-old daughter. Um, her name is Faith. And then, of course, we have Chance, who actually turned uh, nine months today. Do you want to add? No, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, was that, is that what you were looking uh, what, what, for? Are you, what are you doing that's now? perfect. Uh, yeah, that's you can tell us, like, where you guys are at. That helps. Okay. Um, it helps, sure. like, people just get a visual, right? So, like, right. So um, we, we live in Pennsylvania. We're from Philly. Um, I am a social work. I have my master's in social work. Um, Martino. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a realtor. I'm, I'm from Haiti, but I, I live in Philly. That's the last I name. I pretty much grew up here. I came here when I was 10 years old. Now I'm 42. I just turned 42 today. All right. Well, um, tell us about your pregnancy. Okay. Wow. So we were so excited. We, we were trying for consistently for about two years. Um, to conceive. We were kind of on a fence if we wanted to have another child or not. Um, and then we said, you know, we didn't want Faith to be by herself. So we said, you know, let's go for it. Um, and then I just, I wouldn't get pregnant. I wasn't become, wasn't become pregnant. So I said, let's go to facility specialist because I just wanted to make sure that I crossed all my T's and out of all of my I's. So in June of 2019, I went to a fertility specialist and she said, come back in July um, once your cycle came back on. And then in July, my cycle never came on. So that being said, I believe I was actually already pregnant when I went to see her, which was all the more reasons why I felt like this pregnancy was definitely meant to be. Um, So everything was going great. I started having this cough, this really, really bad cough. And because, of course, because I was expecting, I had to call my OBGYN team. And um, they said, well, we want to make sure everything's okay. Um, And they they told me to go to the ER. This was in September of 2019. And they did a chest x-ray. And I'm like, you know, I'm pregnant. I was kind of skeptical, but they really needed to know what was going on, where this cough was coming from. Went to the ER. They sent me home, said it was probably bronchitis. Um, And then the next day, I still took off from work. And I have never in all of my 43 years received a call from anybody from the ER. And the next day, we were sitting here and I'm like, let me just answer this number. The number was kind of strange and I answered. And it was the nurse that I met at the ER. And he said that the tech looked at my um, x-ray again and something just seemed off. And they suggested that I follow up with the pulmonologist. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I'm still kind of in the fog. I'm like, what you mean? What's going on? So I called um, my team again and told them what they were saying. And immediately, like three days later, I had, an appointment at Temple um, University Hospital. 
and um, the doctor was no best stop me in it, but I heard that's just how um, pulmonologists are. He said, oh, "You have cancer, just like that." And I'm like, "I'm looking at I'm looking at your film. It's definitely cancer." And I'm like, nothing else, no CAT scan, no second opinion. You're just going to sit here and say, I have cancer and I'm 14 weeks pregnant. He's like, yeah, unfortunately, I'm sorry that that's the case. Um, and it's aggressive and we need to take care of this as soon as possible. I was crying. I was upset. He said, let me get you an appointment to do a CAT scan maybe a couple days from now. So I'm actually leaving the hospital. He stopped me. The doctor came out personally to stop me said, I need you to go downstairs now for a CAT scan. <sighs> so I called my mom um, to let her know what was going on. And I had the CAT scan with contrast at this, at this point. And that was September the 20th, maybe the 25th. And so I had to follow. So they did the CAT scan. October the 3rd was when they wanted to do a biopsy of the mess, what they had already saw. They wanted to do a biopsy. I'm thinking it's just a, going to be a same-day procedure. I'll be in and out. And the SVC surgeon, which you mentioned earlier, um, because I was the first pregnant, I guess, patient they had um, in IR, they weren't sure what to do with me and they were making phone calls and they wanted to call my OB team. And they finally got this one doctor who came down and saw all of the veins. My, my veins were all in my neck bulging out. You saw all the veins in my chest area. And she said, she's not going home. Is she like immediately, like she's not leaving. My face was swollen at this point. I didn't think I looked different. I thought it was just a pregnancy. Um, but apparently I was very swollen because my blood was not flowing as it should have been. So they did the, so at this point, they even brought down hematology. Like I, they already knew I was going to be admitted. I wasn't going home. So this was October the 3rd, 2019. Um, all these doctors started coming down. They did the biopsy. Um, I was admitted that, that day because I'm a social worker and I, the last job I had, I was in a nursing home. And prior to that, I did internships and things like that. In hospitals, I knew something was wrong. I mean, I'm all about being hopeful. But because I, I deal with patients, I'm just on the other side now. I was in there the 3rd, the 2nd, October the 5th. I was still there. They're running tests. I knew it was serious. Um, so on October the 7th is actually when they came in and said, yes, it's confirmed, the biopsy, all the tests it's cancer, you have Hodgkin's lymphoma. And again, I'm, I'm listening, I'm hearing everything, but I'm, it's, I'm, I felt like I was literally, if that's when they say people have an out-of-body experience, that's what I was having. And I just started crying. And I said, I'm pregnant. I remember on more than one occasion, um, my OB team let me know that you know, the pros and the cons, but I kind of felt like they were more so leaning towards, you know, maybe you should ab abort the pregnancy. And because I am a woman of a certain age, um, it definitely was a planned pregnancy, obviously. And that was just not something that I wanted to do. And I'm sure Martino didn't want to do. So I had to make it clear to them after the second time they mentioned it to me that if this baby was not going to make it, it wouldn't be because of my, my doing. 
it would be because that would be God's will and that I was going to move forward with this pregnancy. And again, I'm just, I don't, I, from, from the very beginning, I was very strong willed that I would be okay. The baby would be okay. And then again, whatever was going to happen, it was going to be the creator's will. Um, let's see what, what happened after that. Immediately, that was October the 7th. I had my first round of chemo the day before my birthday, October the 9th. On October the 10th, I was in a lot of pain that, that following day. Um, and that was inpatient. So I had my first round of chemo inpatient. I went every 14 days. Um, I came home from the hospital October the 13th, had to go back the next day because I had a blood clot. Um, I never knew what that felt like, but my arm was in excruciating pain. It was very painful. You had a fever after I had a, well, after that, I had a fever. Shortly after that. I had a fever. I had like three hospitalizations. Um, I was also hematology, like the nurses that were taking care of me and, and providing my chemo. They're like, you can't give chemo to someone that's pregnant. Like I was the topic of the floor. Like she's pregnant. People are doing chemo. Who do we talk to? But I do remember when they mentioned to us about, okay, you're going to keep this pregnancy, but let me tell you about the pros and the cons and the risk and things like that. Um, my hematologist came in and he said, because it's the A, B, V, D. Those are the, the chemo drugs that you, that you take. He was saying if we opt out the V, which is the one that passes through the placenta, you know, you really need it. But if you want to opt out, you can, and we could try. Cause my thing was my baby, my baby. I wanted to keep this child as safe as possible for as long as possible. And I was trying to at least get to, I think it was maybe like 22 weeks. I was just trying to get close to my third trimester. And then there was another doctor that said, listen, we need to do all of the chemo treatments if you want to live and if you want your baby to live but not only that if you want to be here to raise your child this is what you need to do and it just it makes sense the way she put it like she's I can save you she's I can save you one you can go through this pregnancy and only do maybe the a and, and the d and not do the v and the b but you won't be around to raise your child and that's also important for me it's something that Martina I have always talked about we, even with our oldest daughter like we want to be here to at least raise our children so they don't need us anymore. And that was something else. Another a mother I read that was pregnant with cancer. She said, I want to be here, God, until my children does, don't need me anymore. And that's how we feel. So we did the chemo. Everything was great. You know, went through some hospitalizations. Um, I'm drinking my water, trying to flush my system out. My immune system, of course, was horrible. Um, let's see. So I guess fast forward, um, you know, some months chance is doing good. Um, everything's working out, everything's, you know, no issues, no concerns. Then January came around. And at that point I was 30 weeks pregnant, 31, 31 weeks pregnant. And I remember just, um, waking up and I went to use the restroom and, you know, I just saw 
a huge blood clot, and I'm like, this isn't good. I instantly freaked out, but I was still calm. It was about 2.30 in the morning. It was like 2.30 in the morning, and I said, we have to get to the hospital. My Our daughter was screaming. She was crying. Is my sibling going to be okay? Because we didn't know what we were having. I wanted to wait. I wanted to be a surprise. I just wanted a healthy baby, of course, at this point. So it didn't matter what we were having. Um, called the doctor immediately. I knew I was going to have to go to the hospital anyway. Went to the hospital, and... The, my baby's heart rate up and down. They didn't know what was going on. They ran tests. Then the heart rate became stable. Um, until this day, it's almost as if they really don't know what happened. So the next day, they stopped my blood thinner because I was also on blood thinners, of course. So they took me off my Lovenox and put me on heparin, which is what the baby can tolerate more just in case if they had to do an emergency C-section. They didn't really want me bleeding too much. And I remember this one nurse came in the room and she looked at this, this, the film or the strips that when they're monitoring the heart and she dropped it and ran out. And I'm like, oh my, what's going on? Like, oh my God. And then that's when they knew like, this isn't good. I guess um, my baby's heart rate was just very low. So we had a lot of decisions because there was a lot going on uh, with me with the SBC syndrome, you know, being pregnant, having the cancer, being on the blood thinners. Um, it was cardiology, hematology. Every doctor you could think of was in my room that following morning saying, okay, we need to move forward with an emergency C-section. That was not my birth um, plan. I just knew that I would go all the way. I actually wanted to do a vaginal birth, um, or if not, you know, a C-section, but I just didn't think it would be an emergency C-section. And, um, they had to sign all these different waivers. Like I said, it had to be at least 20 doctors. And I've, and just to back up a little bit, I have never been sick. So this was a lot for somebody who had has always been healthy to have doctor after doctor in and out blood work tests and then now having an emergency c-section at 31 weeks pregnant and they have all these doctors from all different departments there um so january 24th 2020 our son chance was born um weighing four pounds and, and some change um I remember waking up kind of out of it, still not really knowing. And I could hear the nurses saying, I think she had a boy. I think she had a boy. And I'm like, oh, I had a boy. I'm still very drugged, very, very sore. My daughter was vaginal. This is my first C-section. I didn't know they instantly like, okay, get up. You know, need to start walking, need to start moving. I was doing fine. The next day I went to see my son in the NICU. And I was in there for how many days, Tino? after the baby about maybe two so i think even back then they knew something was going on with covid because they were trying to get me out the hospital even back then and i'm like like most people have a c-section in the hospital for you know a little minute why am i leaving already and i remember my ob doctor saying well i don't want you in here because there's too many germs in your immune system which i had none because of this, my white blood chemo. cells and the chemo but um she just wanted me home because you know hospitals are you know, they are germy places. So um, I was discharged. He said, if you have a fever, you get sick, call us and come back. Was discharged. I got a fever. I had to come back to the hospital literally the next day. Not only that, the bleomycin, which is one of the chemo drugs that can possibly cause 
lung inflammation, 1% get lung inflammation. I was the lucky one who got the lung inflammation. So now I'm dealing with that. And to not be able to breathe is the worst thing. So C-section, lung inflammation, my baby's in the NICU, I'm home. I'm dealing with that. This is my postpartum story here. Um, I was afraid to even, I didn't want to eat. I didn't want, cause I, I didn't want to eat or drink because it was that bad for me to get up to go to the, to the restroom because that's how short of breath that I was. So that lung inflammation was very, very hard. If I had to say which was worse, it, it was, I would have to say the lung inflammation was very difficult um, to deal with. Um, the next couple of times I would go to the hospital when I was finally able to visit, um, I was in a wheelchair, you know, because I couldn't walk. Um, I also just want to add, because I could not visit Chance, um, like I would have liked to, or my mother-in-law, my father-in-law visited every day for us. Um, hence his name being Chance, it's because I did not know what I was going to name him at all. And then one day, of course, after having him and everything that happened, I said, you know what, his life deserved a chance. Yeah, we took a chance with him. We took a chance despite people, you know, doubting us and maybe not having faith that he would make it. Um, or those that were saying, I think you should get an abortion. And, uh, we also had a lot of people praying for us. Yes, and, prayer, uh, a lot of people. Some people came to the hospital and prayed with her. You know, we believe in that, so. On a daily basis from day one, and they're still praying for us. So, you know, we look now, he is, he actually had an appointment today, and he is, um, I guess they still categorize him as a preemie, but he is not even in that scope. Like, he has always been a healthy, healthy and even weighing four pounds. I, question like was I even measured right because he weighed four pounds when he was born and so my due date was March like the 25th and I had him January the 24th so that just goes to show that at the end of the day the most high has the last say and I'm a firm believer in that that's something my grandmother has always told me and again, like, that's why I said, if this baby was not going to make it, it would be because of God and not because of me. And so I said, I'm going to name him Chance. And um, um, just quickly, I would like to say that there's an organization called Hope for Two, which um, specifically um, provides services and support to women who are pregnant with cancer. And they follow the child once the child is born until they're 18. So he'll have someone following him um, from then until he's 18. And they also pair you with uh, someone who's, who had the same exact diagnosis that you possibly have had, um, or very similar, but usually try to pair you with someone, everything, you know, the diagnosis, the stage. And I think mine was more, maybe like almost like a stage, close to stage four. Um, that's about it. I don't have anything else. When you think back to the time during your prenatal um, time, like in your prepare preparation for your actual birth, were you able to do any preparation or so much so heavy on the um, cancer treatment in your health? Or did mm. you have time to do things? Um, even though That's a good question. That's a good question. Not really, no. It was just always about, in a sense, the, the cancer and treating the the cancer because if i guess if of course if i didn't make it then 
what are the chances the baby would have made made it or deliver or whatever so um i had in my mind what i've envisioned you know i wanted to have a, a sip and see I, you know um I, I did envision it a little different. There wasn't a lot of planning and we were actually about to get to those stages. I kept asking my doctor, you know, what is going to be my birth plan because, because of the chemo. And we were very concerned of her having a miscarriage because of the chemo. It was always side effects. Three days after she had chemo, something would happen, a blood clot, a fever or something like mm -hmm. that. Cramping. And, I experienced a lot of cramping too. Yes. Yeah, so we were always like, we just wanted her to be, uh, safe in the baby, you know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, it's hard to see past that, right? Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Those, those little things, or what seems so little at that point, right? Yes. Um, Martina, when you think about your role in everything and your experience watching your wife and um, being more of like taking on another role with your daughter, um, just being, different for you how was your experience during that time oh man the whole time i was i had a lot going through my mind you know i was thinking like i i kind of knew that she was going to make it because of my faith but at the same time you know saying you know it's life anything could happen and i was thinking about like what am i going to do you know what I'm saying you know i'm a father i don't even know how to be a father you know what i'm saying to a child so because her and my daughter they have a very close relationship you know what I'm saying? So I was having all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of worries and stuff like that. You know, I, to be honest with you, I didn't know how I was going to deal with it. You know what I'm saying? But I knew I was going to find, probably find a way, but I didn't know what that way was. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's not something that you can prepare for. You just can, I'll just, you know what I mean, keep your hope alive. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. And um, yeah. we love honesty here. And I think, um, those are the feelings and the sentiments that don't always get spoken about is yeah. that of, I just don't know, mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to feel. Um, I'm going to do my best to keep her alive and, and be in my faith, but I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. 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 And I was thinking about you, you know, um, Tia, you have you know, being at home and not being able to go at the hospital um, and, <laughs> or visit the NICU with Chance and you know you had your parents to go Martina were you able to make those visits or was it like because you were having to focus on being with Tia and because it was in all of this COVID mess what did that look like well I, I, I did I would probably go like once I mean I would say twice a week or three times a week but my parents they would go every day you know what I'm saying because you know I had to work and be at home and you know help out pick my daughter from school help out her homework and you know uh but my since my parents were going i felt kind of like it made me feel better you know they would call me you know to let me know how he was doing and stuff so that village. that's an amazing support system um yeah yes yes definitely people don't always think about before you decide to have a child like who's gonna help right you know, mm -hmm. just think of i have a good partner we'll do this like yeah. Having parent support, having, you know, family or friends that you can really rely on and depend on in the hard times, not just for the yeah, fun yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. That's a lot of dedication. I'm just mm -hmm. happy that you guys have that support. Yes, yes. And I have a big, I come from a big family. It's seven of us, seven kids, plus my parents and stuff, you know, in-laws and stuff. So it's a lot of us. 
Yeah, my brother-in-law came every morning to take Faith um, to, school. to school for us. Yeah, like so Tia could not even walk downstairs, you know, mm -hmm. because of her lungs uh, infection that she had at that time. Yeah. You know? so. so, you know, you're here. We say postpartum is forever. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you described what the beginning of postpartum looked like for you. Where are you now today? What does postpartum look like? I am going to receive that postpartum is forever, definitely. Um, it's anxious for me now. Um, some days, so I, I've never had a break. So my, my treatment ended May of this year. And since May of this year, I've, I just had a CAT scan on Monday, actually. Thank God everything is still looking good. No signs of cancer. My lungs are looking better. Everything is looking good. But I was telling Martina, I still literally have, haven't had a break. No, I, I haven't had a chance to breathe. And I thought that was just, when I had faith, I would have felt horrible. But I realized now, and my, this is something my mother always told me, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. So having faith when I was 33, I'm, it was all about faith, faith, faith. Like, no, I would never leave it with anybody. I wanted to be a very on-hands mom. But I think it, I, I probably drove myself crazy by doing it because I actually had a severe case of postpartum depression with her where I was out of work in counseling. So that wasn't good. But even now, after this particular pregnancy, now I realize I need a break and it is okay. And I have to do that for my mental health, but I can't get it um, because of COVID. So of course we have to be careful who comes in and out the house. My mother will come over um, once in a while, you know, to watch Chance and Faith, but it was for a doctor's appointments. Not so Martina and I maybe can just go yeah. get a breather and just. And uh, the thing is, you know, I go to work and stuff. So when I'm not here, uh, Tia has to not only take it a chance, mm -hmm. and she also has to help Faith out with her school because she's homeschooling. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of hard on her. That's a lot. You know, uh, you know, and with COVID and stuff, if it wasn't for COVID, my parents could have came over. My mom even offered before the, mm -hmm. the whole pandemic started, you know, uh, to come over and to even stay with us. But mm -hmm. now she's 70 years old. I don't want her coming out, you know what I'm saying, right. like that, because I don't want her getting exposed you know, because of her age. So since she can't come over, so Tia's pretty much doing everything in the house because I can't be here to help out, you know, because I have to work. I have to pay the bills and everything. So it's been a lot. It's, 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 it's kind of hard, you know. I journal. Because she needs to rest. She needs to rest. If I can. And, uh, but she can't really. Mm -hmm. Well, we're good. We're, ha we're happy. You know, we're thankful every day you know, to God for everything that he has done. You know, yeah. Chance is here. He's healthy. Yeah. T is cancer free. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's oh. a blessing. That's a blessing. You know, last year around this time, we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, you know. Yep. So, so yeah. this year, yeah. You know, I think about we always, um, you know, remind our folks after they have children about like. It, you know, it, it, there is, it takes up to a year for you to even heal physically 
yes. and yeah. somewhat like emotionally and mentally, but like you're mm. double healing. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. You know, like the amount of work, um, the amount of changes that you're, you have undergone and taken, like that's double work of healing. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, it's good to hear about the mind, like you being mindful about that. Um, mm-hmm. But then it's also, you know, just thinking about where we are and how things are set up, but, you know, continue to journal, continue to, as much as possible, tap into that village and, yes, you know, take your Thank time. you. Thank you. Y'all Thank are on our minds, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. You just consider the resolve it takes in a person's mind because that's where you know we fight our battles right like mind over matter yes yes you just you just went through so much right and yeah your covering is there right beside you and i'm just i'm looking at y'all in awe like that covid is a whole nother beast and it's a mess right now but i i'm hoping that you guys find some relief for both of you, right? Thank you. Um, and to find some um, time for yourselves as a couple mm-hmm. and individually because mm-hmm. I see you too, Martina. I see you. Yeah. <laughs> Are you journaling, I see you. Martina? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mad. Well, uh, yeah, I'm part of it. <laughs> okay, yeah. what are you tapping into? Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, well, you gave us you gave us one uh, resource, but is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with, whether it's advice, resources, anything else from your journey? Um, let's see. Of course, you know, any cancer society, um, lymphoma society, all of those uh, websites anyone can visit. Um, let's see. So, so. Well, so yeah, so this is more of a a herb type of a thing. So Martina was calling in for FMLA um, with his insurance company and the guy that the representative actually, you know, he had some of his story, the representative said, hey, well, I actually had cancer myself and um, I took this herb called soursop. So, you know, get your wife some soursop. Well, the thing is, somebody else had already told me about that and I did my research on it. And when the guy on the phone told me about it, that was more like a, of a confirmation. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start buying it. You know what I'm saying? Supposedly, the sour shop, it helps, you know, cure, you know, helps you heal when you have cancer. You know what I mean? Supposedly. But she's been taking it, and now she's cancer-free. But, you know, she also had chemo. But we feel like it kind of helped. So yeah. Just, we just want to put that out there. And, of course, you know, the- don't, just, you could go on the Internet and do your own research on it. You know what I mean? And if you do research, you know, medical teams, of course, they will never agree and say, oh, it's not They don't encourage you to take herbal stuff. But it's just amazing how to, like, every time. So my last CAT scan prior to this one was in July. And then my doctor just read this one was like, yeah, like, hey, everything is just improving. You know, you're looking really good. So, yeah, I do my sour sop. Sea moss and all that. Sea moss. Everybody's hearing about that. believe in herbal stuff. You know what I mean? Because, you know, in the medical field, they don't really encourage you to do herbal. So I feel like even if you're taking medicines and stuff like that, you still have to do research on herbal stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean. But hope for, I know I mentioned hope for two already, but I would definitely 
suggest and say that that is like one of the best resources. Again, like I said, you have somebody that they would pair you up with. If you need to vent, like in my case, I can still reach out and call my mentor or text her and say, I'm having a bad day. You know, this is bothering me. And she'll respond or call me back and, and we'll talk and she can be of some kind of support some, or encouragement. So I think Hope for Two um, also, again, is, is a, a really good um, organization. And she also took, uh, what is it, Black Seed Oil? For the lungs inflammation. For my lung inflammation, the black seed oil. Um, and just believe. Um, just believe. And we know our bodies more than anybody. Um, yeah, I would just tell anybody that's going to read my story that to believe and have faith and and trust God, who you know, trust your creator. And although doctors know a lot, they don't always have the answers. And, and, and it's okay to say sometimes doctors can be wrong. Um, and let me kind of, you know, let's meet me in the middle. Let's work together to figure my health out. You don't always have to put, you know, your health in a doctor's um, hands 100%. And in my case, I, I, like one thing I can say about Hodgkin's, Hodgkin's is one of those cancers that take years to even find out about. So I had this brewing for probably in my 20s. I'm 43. And, and I got checkups. I got blood work. Um, it was me saying, hey, this vein in my neck don't look right. You know, I had to keep telling my doctor more than one. And she brushed it off like, oh, it's probably just a lymph node. It was a lymph node, but it was something unhealthy going on. So anything, any veins sticking out someone's neck, if they are drinking alcohol and I'm, I think this is important because, again, Hodgkin's is not easily diagnosed. So I do want, I really would like this mentioned because these are symptoms that I had. I would, I've never was a drinker. And then when I finally wanted to have like a glass of wine, I would get these really sharp, burning, pinchy type pains in my arms for about three, let's say 20 seconds. Asked my doctor about that. She said it was nothing. And this is from 20 until, again, it must have stopped in my 30s. But I'm like, that's not normal to drink a glass of wine and, and have this pain. So everything that I experienced and I mentioned to my primary went, I don't swept under the rug, made light of. But I will say my hematologist did say, again, no regular doctor would have ever known to say, you need a CAT scan. Um, because Hodgkin is just that type of a cancer that's just not easily diagnosed. Something else I think is important um, as women, we, you know, we were in Breast Cancer Awareness Month. In my 20s, my breasts would itch uncontrollably, like, like never before. I'm like, I'm using the same soap. What is it? That's a sign that something's going on. It wasn't the breast cancer for me. But again, you, your body, any body part should not itch the way that my, that, the way my breasts were itching. And the, that was another symptom. Um, yeah, I guess what she's saying is, you know your body better than anybody, anybody else. else. So if you feel like there's something wrong with you, so don't just take a doctor's word for it. You know what I mean? So, because you know your body. You know that this is not normal for me. So mm -hmm. you probably have to go to different doctors, you know, yep. and just see what's going on. Yeah. You know your body. Know your options. Be educated. Yep. Believe. Yep. What yeah. Else we, what else we getting from this? <laughs> I want to thank I want to thank you all um, for this platform and for just bringing awareness to women of color um, in their birthing stories. I think it's awesome. My mother actually told me 
about you all. And so I really think you should share your story. So um come through mama. Oh, y'all are wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening to our story. Thank you for sharing. Who can bless somebody though? You know, you just never know what people are going through. You never know if somebody listens to this and they're like, hey, I had that symptom. You know, people don't talk about all that stuff all the time. We always just think, oh, I go to the doctor. If they find something, something's weird in my blood work, then, you know, then we'll go further from there. But, you know, really paying attention to these little things that seem like it's absolutely might, might just be a small thing, but it could be something much bigger. You're absolutely right. And I and I do hope that someone reads this story or hear about it. And, and I remember crying one day in my hospital room, and I said, "God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do." Um, and I, I know we didn't go through this; our family did not go through this just for us, just for us to see how great God is, or miracles, or it has to be somebody else. I want it to be somebody else that this story, like you said, Danielle, can help, save, uplift or something for another family. That's that's the purpose. To Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.